Welcome to Managed Carecast, a podcast from the American Journal of Managed Care. The move to value-based care has been a long process in the United States, perhaps made even longer by policies that some view as discouraging providers and health systems from participating in alternative payment models, and now a pandemic that may stall the transition. As a result of COVID-19, CMS announced it would stop accepting applications for new accountable care organizations in 2021. However, the National Association of ACOs, or NACOs, is still pushing forward. The organization is supporting new legislation in the House of Representatives that would update Medicare's ACO program and reward participating ACOs. I'm Laura Jost, Editorial Director of the American Journal of Managed Care, and recently I spoke with Allison Brennan, Senior Vice President of Government Affairs at NACOS about the new bill, how other policy changes at CMS have impacted ACOs, and the effect COVID-19 has had on ACOs. Thank you so much for joining me today. Um, to start, I wanted to discuss a bill that was introduced in the House in July. It would accelerate Medicare's move to value-based payment. So can you tell me a little bit about what is included in the Value and Healthcare Act and how would it boost ACOs and other alternative payment models? Yes, well, we were really excited to see introduction of the Healthcare and Value Act. This is something we've been working on for over a year. And the overall goal of the bill is to encourage new entrants into the ACO program and make sure that existing ACOs can be successful and stay in the program long-term. Additionally, the bill also addresses some issues for advanced APMs um, to provide incentives for providers to continue shifting from volume to value which is something that we have seen is a big focus for both the administration and Congress. And so can you tell me a little bit about the issues with the current incentive payments for alternative payment models? This bill is supposed to address the 5% advanced APM bonus and that threshold. So what was the issue with that bonus and how is this gonna help address that? The advanced APM bonus has been incredibly helpful for providers to embrace the shift to value. And that's wonderful. That's what Congress intended. And we're really pleased to see that as a meaningful driver in the overall shift to value. However, the bonus is only limited for a certain number of years. And we didn't see enough opportunity for providers to earn that bonus early on. And we're seeing that bonus come to an end in 2022 performance year. So what this bill would do is extend the bonus for an additional six years. And at the same time, we see increasing thresholds that providers have to meet in order to earn the bonus. And those thresholds are increasing in 2021 to unrealistic levels. And unfortunately, I think this was something that's a bit of an unintended consequence with implementation of the law. And so we are asking Congress to revisit those thresholds and make sure that they're set at appropriate levels, which will allow providers to still be able to earn that advanced APM bonus. And so can you tell me a little bit about where the bill is currently and what are the next steps for it? 
Yes, absolutely. So uh, we have introduced a house version. It does have bipartisan support. We are currently seeking additional co-sponsors in the house and we are working on a Senate companion and we hope to introduce that this fall. We are also working on advancing specific key provisions that are very timely. So the bill being a larger, more comprehensive package is moving a little bit more slowly. And what we would like to do is take certain more timely issues and hopefully provide some opportunities to advance those individually. So the key issue that we're working on when I mentioned that is trying to address those increasing QP thresholds. And we need to do that before the end of this calendar year so that those thresholds are set at reasonable levels for 2021. And are there any other bills or legislative efforts that NACOS is involved with right now that you wanted to discuss? We're involved in a number of initiatives. Some of the other things that we're focused on, there is a standalone bill that would address an ACO benchmarking flaw known as the rural glitch. So we've been very active in that. And we've also been very active recently with many of the policy changes, both with Congress and from the administration related to telehealth. So those have been some of our priorities in the recent months. Recently, NACOS and the Morin Company released an analysis about savings we might see as a result of the Value in Healthcare Act. So what were the findings of that analysis and how was the analysis done? So um, NACOS commissioned the Moran Group to do an independent analysis of the Value Act. And ideally what we were trying to do is figure out what the potential cost would be for this overall package. It can be rather complicated to provide that type of estimate or score uh, because there are a lot of moving parts. And on the one hand, we're looking at things that will cost money, such as continuing the advanced APM bonus. But on the other hand, we have to look at the incentive, which if we have more providers in value-based payment models, such as ACOs, then they'll actually save money. So we're trying to balance all those various uh, components. And the experts at the Moran Company did just that. And they came back with a congressional budget office type score, which would save $270 million over a decade. So the other changes that have been happening with the ACO landscape recently is that uh, CMS implemented the Pathways to Success program. Um, that's a few years old now. So what do we know about how the Pathways to Success program has impacted the ACO movement? Yeah, so there were some positive elements of the Pathways to Success overhaul that we see. And some of those include changes to the risk adjustment methodology, as well as providing flexibility for ACOs in terms of what type of assignment methodology they want to choose. Additionally, we see that CMS through Pathways has made permanent a moderate risk ACO level, which is something we had been advocating for. So there were some positive changes included in the Pathways rules. However, there were also some troubling provisions that were finalized and are now in place. Some of the things that we had notable concerns about with that final regulation were the significant reduction in shared savings rates. And that's the portion that ACOs get to keep 
when they earn shared savings. Those were scaled back. We also see a much quicker time frame for ACOs to ramp up and assume risk. So rather than having a no risk option for six years, they now have a no risk option for only two to three years, depending on the type of ACO. So those are some of the things that we were concerned about with the final regulation. And unfortunately, we noted those concerns and really pointed to their potential to shut off the pipeline of new ACOs, which ultimately slows the overall transition to value-based payment. And that is what we're seeing. So compared to previous years where on average there were 100 new ACOs, when the pathways rules went into effect, we now see around 35 or 40 new ACOs in the past two program years. Um, and we also have seen CMS take steps to eliminate an opportunity to join the ACO program in 2021. So unfortunately, we know that there will be no entrance into MSSP for 2021. So switching gears a little bit, how have ACOs been impacted by COVID-19 and what have they been doing to adjust to the pandemic? Yes, well, ACOs, like all providers, have been significantly affected by the COVID-19 pandemic. And we've been really pleased to see ACOs take a leadership role in their communities and really be on the front line supporting providers and patients through this pandemic response. ACOs have been well positioned in a number of ways to face something as dire as a pandemic and to help patients. For example, ACOs track high-risk patients, and that helps them identify who might be at greater risk for COVID-19. ACOs also have infrastructure in place to provide services to support beneficiaries, not just with their medical needs, but also additional needs, like if they need transportation or meals. Um, support of that nature is very helpful to keep people in their homes, which is important in this current environment of isolation, and also trying to make sure that patients who receive care can get that care, whether it's through telehealth, which we've seen a huge expansion of with ACOs, or if it's having patients receive medical care, it's important that they get that care in an appropriate setting. So if they can get that care without going to the hospital, that's a good thing because it will limit their exposure. Um, so we have seen a lot of different initiatives from ACOs and I think a lot of success stories that really illustrate why value-based payment is important in a pandemic and also coming out of a pandemic and moving forward. It's really important that we um, continue these types of reforms. And you mentioned earlier that CMS stopped accepting new applications for ACOs in 2021. That was part of the response to COVID-19, I believe. Do you think that was an appropriate response given the pandemic? And what impact do you think this might have on the future of ACO participation? I don't think that's the right move for the overall ACO program and the broader shift to value. I understand that there are challenges for some providers right now who really need to be 100% focused on the pandemic response. But eliminating the opportunity to join the program, I think is short-sighted. 
I think that those who didn't have the ability to pursue that application process didn't have to do so. Um, but those who did have that capability should have been able to move forward with the application and join the program. We could have seen some flexibility with the deadlines and pushing some of those back to provide a little bit of leeway for those who needed more time. But I don't think it helps in any way to completely eliminate the opportunity to join the program. We have asked CMS to reconsider that decision. And we still think the agency could do that and could provide an opportunity to join the program with a start date potentially later in the year, such as April or July, which the agency has done in the past in certain circumstances. And uh, CMS has, in general, enacted some changes throughout the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, what ones do you think should be kept even after the pandemic ends? Yes, well, this has really provided an opportunity to look at some of the current restrictions and provide flexibility, such as the telehealth waivers. And I think that we're seeing changes in that area, which are really important and which we would like to see in large part um, remain, though we would appreciate some potential guardrails around some of those telehealth uh, changes. Additionally, as we look at providers and some of the flexibilities with and, and financial support with payments, I think that's been welcome, but you know, perhaps doesn't need to continue after the pandemic. I think we will want to take a look at some of the data coming out of some of these changes, such as telehealth, to see how we can appropriately incorporate those policies or revise them and maintain them for the future. The NACOS fall meeting is coming up. Is there a particular session that you're excited about or any topics that are going to be discussed that you want to highlight? Absolutely. Well, I'm excited for a lot of sessions. Uh, we do have 18 sessions over the course of two weeks. We have some terrific speakers and terrific content. Really looking forward to hearing from our ACO members who are going to share their strategies on a variety of topics, including very timely issues such as those related to policy or quality and also the pandemic. We're also going to hear from a number of speakers about the overall shift to value and where that's headed. We look forward to hearing from a number of CMS speakers, including CMMI Director Brad Smith, as well as Amy Bassano from CMMI and John Pilot from CMS. We're also going to hear from some former leaders of CMS, including Don Berwick and Mark McClellan. And we're going to hear from the immediate past and current chair of MedPAC. So I think that's going to provide a really interesting discussion. And of course, given the importance of the election, we're going to hear from folks about some of the politics around healthcare, and we'll have a congressional panel to do that. So a lot of exciting, timely, and interesting topics. So we really hope that folks will join us for that. To learn more about NACOS's work or their upcoming meeting, see the show notes. To get in touch with us, you can email info at AJMC.com or follow us on Twitter at AJMC underscore journal. And if you like the podcast, don't forget to subscribe and rate us. 